Welcome to Season 3 of American Political History, Conformity, War, Liberty, Charter. Williams had now fleshed and formed this new ideology of soul liberty, and he would bring it to bear on obtaining a royal charter for Rhode Island. Williams said that England didn't have to choose between soul liberty and the abolishment of soul liberty. That was a false choice. Rhode Island could be an English test case for the development and efficacy of soul liberty. After discussion on this point in the Committee of English Plantations, the Rhode Island Charter was agreed to and passed on March 14, 1644. The Charter gave full power and authority to govern themselves by majority democratical rule as long as the laws passed were conformable with English common law. By authorizing the majority to govern, the Committee had authorized a fully democratic government, an extraordinary liberty, and what was truly extraordinary was that the committee left the complete controls of religion in the hands of this colony, knowing full well that Rhode Island wanted to remove the state from the issue of worship. The charter only mentioned God once, in mentioning that the settlers' efforts may in time by the blessing of God upon their endeavors lay a sure foundation of happiness for all of America. It noted that this was an experiment for all Englishmen to learn from. Williams had succeeded at getting Rhode Island's charter to have more liberty of conscience than any government in the world. But before leaving back to Rhode Island, Williams would leave his mark on English politics. First, Williams attacked the power of Parliament to censor books, and their ability by censoring to make clear what types of books should be printed and which type should be burnt. It is a woeful privilege attended to all great states and personages that they seldom hear any other music than is known will please them. For who can pass the many locks and bars of any of the several licensers appointed by you with such a message? By such circumscribing it is rarely possible that any other light shall shine upon your honor's souls. Then Williams attacked the religious senate for its oversight of Christian discipline. How would a human assembly justly determine what type of worship pleases God? For them to do so means the state must get in the business of judging which Christian sects are true and false. Is it not Jesus' right to judge Christian worship? Then he gave them scripture to think on to further cement his arguments. God is salvation. It is not a path of damnation for others. Luke 9.56 I came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Heaven is for God's judgment, not man's. John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. Christians are to struggle through life, not be the persecutors. 2 Timothy 3.12, all that would live in Jesus Christ would suffer persecution. And Williams finished by publishing The Bloody Tenant, The Persecution for the Cause of Conscience Discussed, 1644. The bloody tenant called for true freedom of religion and absolute separation between church and state. Calls for toleration of dissenting religious sects had been made for centuries. Williams was calling for the total separation of church and state. This was in a time when universal European public opinion rejected toleration alone of religion, let alone supporting the separation of state religious discipline. 
John Cotton would rebut Williams from Boston, writing that scripture is so clear on fundamental points that the learned scholars could not be mistaken on this. They had presented the truth in such compelling arguments that one could not listen and withstand their logic. Once this argument was presented, the subject had been rightly informed. Anyone that still refused could not be subject to an argument of conscience. They had been shown what was right and still refused it. Admonition, exile, banishment, and death were all permitted for the protection of the godly community. Williams and Cotton would rebut each other through pamphlets, always citing scripture. Williams cited in response the parable from Matthew 13.24-30. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his fields. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed the weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you will make root up of the wheat with them. Cotton rebuttaled. Romans sixteen seventeen. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way. They are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. Matthew 15.13 Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Isaiah 49.23 And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. These shall bow down to thee with their faces toward the earth, and lick up the dust from thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed, they wait for me. His point was that the government should be the nursing father, as the New England way has shown possible. Without this, a society could not be moral or survive. Williams rebutted Mark twelve seventeen. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar, unto God's what is God's. Forcing the church into the state turned the world upside down. It forced humanity's wilderness into God's garden. It was a forced spiritual rape, abominable in God's eyes. The state rules over body and goods of their subjects. God rules over souls. Many Puritans, especially those in New England, tried to burn Williams's book. Seventy pamphlets would be written in the next few years attacking Williams' writings. But the idea was spoken into the world. He put a giant political magnifying glass over the issue of church and state. The paradigm of church and state had been cracked. The Bay began to hate Rhode Island so much that they would not even sell guns or powder to Rhode Island. When the Bay courts claimed all of Rhode Island, using that fraudulent Narragansett patent, Williams would send them a scathing letter about their representative's fraudulent behavior in London. The use of this patent only sullied their honor in Boston. Tensions of the attempt to subjugate Rhode Island lands through the Narragansett patent would end the civil relationship between Rhode Island and the United Colonies. And on a personal level, it ended the relationship between Williams and Winthrop. Rhode Island's charter forced the Bay to free all of the Gordonists and they returned to Warwick. By May 1647, Rhode Island completed its 61-page constitution and legal code. 
It would become the freest society in the world, with freemen holding the rights of liberty of conscience. The government was confirmed as democratical, where each freehold, a household, would get an equal single vote for the colony's government. And so Williams decided to retire to his lands in Rhode Island, weary of politics, the loss of personal friends, and the constant public criticism that he faced. But New England politics was not done with him yet. Coddington had earlier gotten a charter for a Quidnick Island. No one living on this island even bothered to respect this charter, so he fled to the bay and objected to his charter rights being violated. The bay courts used this prior Coddington charter to claim Williams's charter was void for Rhode Island because it had not taken into account this older charter. Williams again left for England in 1648 with representatives from each of the New England colonies. In Williams's first trip to England, he was an outsider. On this trip, his friends would hold all of the most powerful positions in the protectorate government. Henry Vane was the second in command under Cromwell. Vane revoked Coddington's charter immediately. Then Vane was thrown out of Parliament when Cromwell abolished Parliament and became Lord Protector of all the realm. Williams, though, was still on Cromwell's good side. But Cromwell had a country to administer, and a large queue of demands on his time. A year later, Williams got three documents returned to him by Cromwell personally, with an apology for the delay. First, official word that Coddington's charter was permanently and irrevocably revoked. Second, was a declaration that Williams would receive permanent free passage through any of the United Colonies. He was an honorable Englishman, and any breach of this would risk the Bay's current standing as an English colony run without a governor from the Crown. A direct threat to their independence. And third, Rhode Island would receive kingly declaration, written protection from encroachment by any of the other United Colonies, and either their liberty of conscience, land, or governmental control of the courts. This together was an irrefutable reprimand of the Bay's expansion into the other colonies, and their presumed legal superiority in New England, and a subtle dismissal of their independence from London. But back in Rhode Island, the Narragansett had so impoverished themselves, paying the great ransom for Myantinomi, that they looked to ally themselves under English rule from London, a power that even the Bay must clearly obey. The Narragansett met with English delegates to discuss the issue and agreed to submit themselves under the English crown. Know all men, colonies, peoples, and nations that we the chief sachems, governors of the Narragansett, together joined with unanimous consent of all of our people, bend with our hearts with one consent freely, voluntarily, and most humbly to submit, subject, and give over ourselves, peoples, lands, rights, inheritances, and possessions whatsoever in ourselves and our heirs, forever under the protection, care, and government of that worthy and royal Prince Charles, King of Great Britain and Ireland." to his heirs and successors forever, to be ruled and governed under those ancient and honorable laws, customs in that so renowned realm and kingdom of old England. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.